Well, good morning. Uh, let me add my welcome to those who've already had this morning. If you don't know me, my name's John. Uh, if, if you do know me, that actually remains true. Uh, either way. Um, I'm, I'm one of the pastors here at Gospel Church in Middleton. It's a real joy to have you here today, especially on this really cool occasion where we get to dunk Mark in the ocean, slash celebrate the joy of baptism. Uh, and so I'm just going to speak to you for a little bit today, um, but I, I thought... I was thinking about how we approach this uh, topic of baptism when we when we talk as a church, and I thought probably the best thing that I could do uh, to lead us in that is to look briefly today at a passage of the Bible that literally does not even use the word baptism, but tells us everything that we need to know about baptism. Uh, so we're going to go to, uh, if you've got a Bible with you, Ephesians chapter 2. You heard it read out before by, I think it was Matt. Uh, we're just going to look mostly at a couple of verses there. Um, let, let, me, let me do a quick pray first. We've prayed a bit. You can never pray too much. Uh, Jesus, thank you for your goodness to your people. Uh, that you sent your son into this world. God the Father sent his son into this world. Jesus, you came into this world. <laughs> you died our death and you give us life. So Lord, we celebrate it and we pray that you would clearly display that today. Uh, in what I'm going to say, in what Mark's going to say, in uh, the, the baptism we're going to take part in. And Lord, that you would make that the display and the joy of the lives of your people and everything. We pray it in the name of Jesus who makes it possible. Amen. So uh, one of the, the Bible authors, uh, a fellow named Paul, uh, wrote these words that we're going to look at today to a church in a, in a city called Ephesus. Uh, and, and, and we heard it read out before, like I said, and to this day, this passage really contains some of the most breathtakingly sombering words, sombering, sobering, that's what I'm looking for, and breathtakingly fantastic words that I've ever heard. I love it. Uh, the, the sobering part is this. He opens with these words, you were dead in your sins. It doesn't get a lot more sobering than that. This is the reality that the Bible tells us that every single person either is or was in. You are dead in sin. Now, that might seem like a striking way to start the, the message today, uh, maybe a little bit offensive, but, uh, but trust me, we're going to get there. We're going to get to the good bit. But, but do you know that? You need saving. You're in need of rescuing because you don't live a good life and because you are under the power of death. You don't live in the way that you were created to if you are not in Jesus. I want to quickly offer you two pieces of evidence for this fact that I think nail it in as pretty definite. Uh, the first is death. You are dead in sin. I'm going to start with death. You may from that be able to extrapolate what number two is going to be, but we'll get there. Um, you know, I believe that we are all uh, born with an innate sense of the fact that death isn't right, that death isn't how this world's meant to be, and I can demonstrate that to you. Uh, if, if you think I'm wrong, answer this question for me. Why do we try to avoid thinking about it so much? Why do we avoid death? You know, if it's if it's a normal part of life, and we, and we get that message a fair bit. If death is normal, why do we? Avoid it. And we do avoid it. I, I work as an RN uh, a lot of my week and uh, a nurse. And, and so I get to deal with this question a fair bit. And people always avoid the idea of death. 
Even nurses are continually avoiding the idea of death, distancing themselves from the fact that one day I'm going to be that person in that bed there. It's a, it's a scary reality. What about this? Why do we go to such lengths to act like the one thing that, that, that will definitely happen to me in this world won't happen to me? Why do we put people in nursing homes and then fail to visit them? This is a, a sad but constant reality. Why don't we like seeing that reality? Pe people uh, often come into hospital with this uh, expectation, often a really unreasonable expectation, that things are just going to be fine, that I'm going to walk out of here a healthy 20-year-old, right? Even though you might be, you know, 90 and, and have all sorts of fun things going on. But uh, it's, it, and, and, and any reasonable outsider would look at that situation and say, that's probably not how this situation is going to pan out. And yet, and yet we, we claw to this optimism that, that death isn't for me. Why do we do that? Could it be that we avoid the idea of death because we have a real sense somewhere built into us that this isn't what it was meant to be like? That death isn't how it was supposed to end, that we were meant for a forever life? Second piece of evidence. Uh, so in that statement, you were dead in your sins. It's this thing called sin. Now there's a there's a word that a lot of people find a touch offensive today. Uh, that's okay. We're gonna we're gonna dig into it a little bit. Sin is essentially rebellion against a creator God. There you go. That's less offensive, isn't it? No. There was that was a little bit joking. Um, yeah, really, it is this rebellion against the one who made you, but the one who made you for good, the one who made you for joy. Sometimes we think of God as kind of the, the cosmic uh, party pooper. You know? but, but he made you for, for good things and for joy. And our rebellion against him is a rebellion against our joy. A rebellion against living in the way that we're made to rejoice in. And you know, we can do a great job of denying that one, can't we? We can, we can really avoid the reality of sin until the day when it really hits home. I mean, I mean, look around us, and it's hard to deny it. It's, it's much easier to see sin looking at other people than it is looking at yourself. I don't know if you've noticed that. I find it much easier, but that might just be because I'm perfect in every way. Uh, <laughs> there was more laughter at that. What? Come on, guys. Um, but look around you. Like, how many, how many relationships are without the tainting of it? Right? How many families are without a break somewhere, without a fracture? How many people without a deep scar that they're hiding? You know, maybe that's one that's better to look inside for, for a lot of us. We see, we see the brokenness of sin and the effects of sin all around us. How many of us could easily say, I, I would put everything that I ever think up on that screen right now and I won't be ashamed of it. Some people do say that. I, th I think there's a special level of self-delusion going on there. We, we... We have some abom abominable parts to us. There are some good things that people do too, don't get me wrong. You know, the most serious implication of these two things, of the fact that we are dead in sin, is that there's nothing we can do about it. I mean, have you ever seen a dead person do something about it? It's, it's not a thing. It's not, it, it just doesn't happen. And this is the reality that everyone either lives with or lived with. Like I said, this is universal. It's not some people, it's every people. But this is where the good news comes in today. 
And uh, I want to focus the rest of our little time we've got here on those words in Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 4. Paul writes this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Jesus. By grace you have been saved. Those are the breathtakingly fantastic ones. You know, that, that I, I, we did a, a, a youth group activity in a church I was in once where we put this to music, and I still remember it to this day. It's, uh, it's to the tune of the song, Call Me Maybe, so I won't actually sing it. But, uh, but like, I just, I love these words. They're so beautiful. God is in the business of redemption. God's in the business of taking what is broken and what is needy, what is unable to fix itself and restoring it, right? Like, like Philip Redding with his engines, but better. Sorry, there's an in-joke there. That's my bad. Um, God takes people who are opposed to him, so opposed to him, so angry with him, so deep into their sin that they couldn't save themselves, and he saves them in Jesus. Isn't that amazing? You know, when you consider what we deserved in the face of that. God takes dead people and he makes them alive. Who else does that? Like I said, I'm a nurse. I work with doctors. We don't do that. It's not a thing. You know, sometimes someone who's a bit dead, sort of, comes back after a few seconds. But even that, like, it's debatable, you know. Um, (laughs) And not only that, it's how he did it. That Jesus died on the cross. You know, think about that. God, the Bible tells us God himself became a man. Now, you might not believe in the Christian God, but just, just, just pretend you do for a sec here, okay? Uh, pretend that there is a creator God of the universe, uh, the, the king of all of creation, and that he came down as an itty-bitty Man, like the one who created galaxies. You know galaxies? You know how big they are? Of course you don't know how big they are because we can't get our head around how big they are because they're so big. He comes down as a man. And he, he lives a perfect life and he dies the death that we deserve, that I deserved. Isn't that, isn't that breathtaking? You know, all all of that death that was ours, that we couldn't deal with, that we were stuck in, he takes it. And not and not because we deserve it. You know, you might you might be here today, I don't know all of you, but you might be one of those people who when you were come into a church or a council chamber technically, uh, you you get the feeling like the roof's gonna cave in on you because you're like, I, I I'm I'm not good enough. Uh, or you might be one of those people who's like, I, I kind of feel like I need to do something for God to love me. Uh, and, 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 and what does this say? By grace you have been saved, by a gift. It's nothing you've done, nothing we could do would make God love us. And yet he loves us. Because of the great love with which he loved us, he saves us. He died for you, not because of anything you've done. Died for me. I, I, I joked before about being perfect. Newsflash, not um, actually, actually pretty messed up at times. But but God died to save me out of that. God loves His children with just that, with the love that a father has for his child. You know, uh, earlier this year in April, we had our third 
uh, child, our second son born. His name's Charlie. He's adorable. You can meet him after the service. Uh, and and you know when I when I first held him, I remember holding him because I, I carried him over to the, the weigh scales that they use in the hospital. And um, and when I first held him, the first thing I said to him was, you know, I'm going to love you one day when you're good enough. No, like, no one does that, right? Like, like, that's not how parents love their children. It's not how parents should love their children, at least. Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't think, oh, you're a bit needy now, but one day, one day you'll get there, you know? No, I, I, I looked at him, I said, I love you. <laughs> uh, I didn't say little Charlie. Had we decided at that point? We, we debated the name in the car on the way to the hospital. We're, we're organisation central in the Cook family. Um, you know? And that's, that's the love with which God loves us. But even better, a, a forever love, a compassionate love, the love of a, a father for his child, but better than this father loves his children. Uh, a, a love that was, would willingly die for you. And, you know, he didn't just die for you. That's the other part of what we're celebrating today. He rose. We celebrate this fact regularly as a church because it is such a great fact to celebrate, frankly. Jesus rose from the dead, physically alive, after having been physically dead for days. Now, we talk about medical people coming back from death. That doesn't happen. We don't do days later, you know. There are bags for that situation. It's Sorry, that's a bit dark. Um, <laughs> keep on what you feel about right, saying, John. Um, and, and, and incidentally, this is a remarkably defensible fact. I, I'm sorry, this is just a little side note. But, um, but Jesus died and rose, and, and the Bible tells us that he, he uh, appeared to hundreds of people after that. Now, imagine for a second that you're, you're in the ancient world, right? And someone comes to you and they're like, you know, Jesus died and rose again for your sin. You should follow him. You could have just gone to these hundreds of people and gone, is this true? And dug into the evidence of being like, is this person's story consistent with that person's story? Why did it spread? It spread because it was true. You know, here's another piece of evidence. Most of the people who believed it, in fact, especially the closest believers, those who were right there when he came back, they, most of them, died believing it and died because they believed it. And, and all it would have taken for them to, to get out of that death would have been to say, actually, sorry, sorry, yeah, we made that bit up. It's, it's, not, it's not real. You can, you can not feed me to the lion now. It's, yeah, but, but they didn't. They died believing it. They trusted that it was true so much. They trusted so much that they had a better life to come, that they were willing to lose this life for the sake of it. And it gets even better than this. Everyone who is saved by Jesus has now been given that new life that is his. The resurrection life of Jesus is in his people. It's an eternal hope that death isn't the end for me. I have the, the resurrection life of Jesus coursing in me. You can say that if you're a Christian. Paul writes about this elsewhere. He writes these, these beautiful words. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? It's a, it's a rhetorical question. It's nowhere. Death doesn't win. 
And this doesn't just mean that you've, you've got a clean slate. Sometimes we think about Christianity and kind of the, you know, Jesus died and so you can, you can start again. Uh, there's an element of that, but there's so much more than that. For everyone who believes in Jesus, it's a freedom which we have experienced because he, by dying and rising, he defeated the punishment of our sin. It's a, it's a, a thing that we are experiencing because here and now God is working in the lives of his people through his spirit to transform them, to make them better, to make them his people, to make them like Jesus, his perfect son. And that is to our, our joy that he does that. And it's a certain hope which we get to look forward to experiencing. Because he's coming back for his people. And those who have trusted in him, he says he will bring them home. He will give them life. Let me give you an example of how this looks in everyday life. Uh, just, just, just a really quick one. This doesn't uh, just mean big, flashy experiences. It's not the conversion moment where you say the big prayer. It's that as well. But this is an everyday reality that Jesus comes in and transforms people. A couple of weeks ago, uh, my wife, Crystal, and I had a bit of a disagreement um, about, about that most meaningful of things, how you're meant to disagree with people. Uh, you know, if, if you're married, you'll understand uh, pointless disagreements happen sometimes. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and, yeah, and, and it's true, we still disagree sometimes. Nine years of marriage. But it's, if you're married, you're still not surprised. Um, if you do have the perfect marriage, feel free to come and tell me how you do that later, by the way. Um, just by the by, we have a great marriage. I love my wife. Uh, but but we had this this vivid moment in the midst of this, right? Where where transformation came in and started working out in in a in a tricky situation. Um, at, at one point in the conversation, Crystal was uh, we we reached a point where we were discussing this, and Crystal was saying something to the effect of when an emotionally driven person. Now, now, my wife is, is an emotional type of person. When, when she gets overwhelmed, she, she gets very emotional about it. When I get overwhelmed, I get very grumpy about it. Uh, that's, our, that's our vices. I don't know if definitely mine is a vice. Um, but, uh, uh, and she said, when an emotionally driven person starts getting teary, what they don't need is someone to kind of rationally come in and go, well, this is what we need to do, and this is maybe where you're doing it wrong, and this is how we proceed here. Uh, what they need is someone to come in and come alongside them and show them love, you know? And, and it's true. And I, and I began to respond uh, in, in, in the moment with the fact that, you know, that's really not so different uh, to, to how the grumpy person is. I said a little bit grumpy-like because, hi. Um, you know, when a, when a person is getting angry about a thing, it's actually because they're getting overwhelmed. It's because they need someone to come alongside and to help them to, to, to see the situation a bit more clearly through love, not through just blunt correction. And, and I started to say that, and then it hit me, right? This, this is where redemption works out. This is the moment where we need someone who gives more than they take, and that someone is Jesus. Jesus is that person who comes alongside us, who gives more than he would ever take away, who pours out grace even when we really don't deserve it. And the Spirit of God came in and changed a, a small conversation. You know, this was, this was a brief moment and, and reconciliation, forward motion was achieved there. Uh, not because I was able to change myself. I'm not able to change myself. Another newsflash there. But, uh, 
but because Jesus can, comes in and changes people through the gospel. Because I knew that he had dealt with my sin and dealt with Crystal's sin and that this the spirit of God was in us, working for our good, and that he has achieved us an undefeatable hope, and he did it as a, as a gift. That enabled a change there. And that's just this small here and now example of something much bigger. One of the great things about Jesus is that he brings you into a huge reality. He brings you into something cosmic. He brings you into the, the, the greatest story that, that, that creation has ever had, the story of redemption. Uh, and then he brings that story and he brings it into the everyday moments of your life. You know, you get, you get eternal hope, you get this enormous thing, and you get momentary transformation, moment-by-moment moment transformation maybe is a better way of putting it. And you might be thinking, by this point, what on earth, John, does all of this have to do with baptism? I came here to see someone get wet. You know, and, and, and my answer is everything. Baptism is a dramatic reenactment of these realities. Uh, it's the realities of the Christian life on display in a special moment, in a special way. When we go to the beach after this, we're going we're gonna to take Mark out into those cold, cold waters, fortunately, on what appears to be a sunny day, at least for the moment. We're going to essentially dunk him. Immerse him and then lift him back out. And there's this twofold image that happens there. It's a picture of Mark going down into death. As a, as a picture of what has happened in him through Jesus. Dying to his sin, dying to his old self. Identifying himself with the cross of Jesus, with the grave of Jesus. And then rising up in the new life of Jesus. And it's a picture of Mark being immersed in the Spirit of God. And then coming back up, dripping with the transforming presence of the creator of the universe. These are realities which are already true for Mark, I believe. Uh, we're, not, we're not transforming him through his baptism today. That's, and... Uh, it's just this joyful celebration. But really the question that we have left to ask, the, the obvious question is, are there realities that are true for you? you know, maybe you're someone who's sat in a church your entire life. Maybe you're someone who has always been there. Or maybe this is, this is your first time. Like there are faces here today that I, I don't actually know very well. So excuse me for asking it, but maybe this is your first time hearing it. Or maybe this is your first time hearing it properly, you know? You can hear something a thousand times. And then one time you hear it and you're like, oh, Jesus died for me. Have you owned that reality? Let me say that's something you can own today. That's a truth that